we're in the second week of a series called The Christian Atheist. And, and last week, you guys heard Corey teach. He did an awesome job. Um, but he, he gave us some statistics that were really interesting. He said that 70% of Americans, 70% identify with, with a Christian faith. And even more than that, it says 60% of Americans claim that the Bible has, has transformed their lives. But when, when we look at our culture, we look at the people we know, we look at the people in our workplace maybe, we, we, just, we know that's not true, right? We know that's not true, and therefore we felt the burden to have this series at 710. So this is the theme of the series. If you, if you are confused as to what it is, it, it's a confrontation and an encouragement to Christians who, who live as if they don't believe in God. So, so I'm going to say that again. It's a confrontation and encouragement to Christians who live as if they don't believe in God. And, and Corey, he taught this last week, but his theme was this. He says, you believe in God, but you don't know him. Or you don't really have a relationship with him, but, but you do believe in him. And you heard how the gospel confronted that. You heard how the gospel confronts that ideal, that way of living. But you also heard how it encourages us to live in faith, right? He said that God created us for relationship with him, intimacy with him. And, and that's such good news for, for us because that's where we experience the, the most and the best rest we could ever experience ever. It's, the, it's where we can find amazing joy. And, and what's even better news than that is that we heard that Jesus made a way for us to have it. Jesus made a way for us to have that with God. And so that's what you heard last week. And so what you're going to hear today is this. This is the purpose of today. Today's sermon is a confrontation and encouragement to people who believe in God but aren't all in for him. Right? They're, they haven't completely given their life to him. Maybe it's because you're, you're scared, perhaps, because you know that it, it means something for your life and and maybe it's because you just, like, refuse to. But honestly, here, here's why I do get that, if that's you. I, I do get that because following Jesus, being all in for Jesus, it, it really does mean something for your life. So, so the Bible uses this term called taking up your cross. That's sort of like Bible talk for going all in, if you will. Um, and, and it comes from the Gospels. Actually, specifically, there's, there's one example of it in Matthew 16, uh, it's going to be up on the screen in just a second, that, that Jesus says, he's talking to his disciples, and this is what he says. If anyone would come after me, the guys who are already following around, he says, if you guys want me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And, and this is what, <laughs> this would have been like really shocking for them to hear. This is what the cross looked like for them. It looked like humiliation. This is something reserved for the worst of criminals not for just normal people, and it was excruciatingly painful. And, and they didn't really get what Jesus was talking about. Like, why would we want to do that? Why would we go there? That, that sounds crazy. They didn't really get what Jesus was saying until he actually went to the cross and died. And then they're like, oh, shoot, this guy's serious. He actually meant what he's saying. So to take up a cross, let's talk about what it meant for the disciples and then what it means for, for us tonight. So what it meant for them it really was a death sentence. Jesus wasn't thoughtless when he, when he told them that. No, he wasn't at all. In fact, they, there's a guy, Peter. He was one of the disciples that Jesus was just speaking to in that text. And, uh, and for following Jesus, what happened to him, he was, he was crucified upside down with his wife. It, it wasn't just like him. It was him and his wife. It, it meant something for Peter to follow Jesus. It meant an execution 
with the person he loved most. And, and what it probably means for you tonight, carrying a cross for you probably means you, you get to get made fun of. Maybe it's at the workplace or, or at the gym or I, I don't know, wherever you talk to people. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, you might get made fun of for following Jesus. It might mean you lose friends, perhaps. Maybe your family's going to reject you from here on out if it means you get to follow Jesus. I, uh, I knew a guy that was coming around to 710 about a year ago. He's a really nice guy. He was in our RC group. And, and he was a Muslim turned Christian. He had just found Jesus, and Christ was just changing this guy's life. And uh, he told us, he goes, I am scared about one thing. He goes, I have no idea how to tell my family that I love Jesus. I have no idea how to tell my family I love Jesus because the moment I do is the moment they will never talk to me again. I also had a college professor at GCU uh, who he, he, he uh, grew up overseas and he came to America for college at U of A and he was like a whiz. This guy was wicked smart. He went to the engineering or something program at U of A and, uh, <laughs> and he was just super smart. He actually came over and he found some friends and he wanted to convert them to uh, Islam. He wanted to make them Muslims. But uh, his friends actually wanted him to become a Christian. So, so they took him to church one time, and, and Christ just got a hold of his heart. And, and he couldn't help it. He just started following Jesus. But then he went back home. And because he was so prestigious in his field of engineering, actually, the, the news of where they were, they asked him to come on television and talk about whatever it is he's an expert in. And he went up there, and rather doing that, he preached the gospel to his whole nation on the news. On the news. And actually what that meant for him was that his brother, even to this day, is hunting him to kill him because he brought such dishonor to his family. So he has to be careful on social media and stuff not to really show where he is. So <laughs> that's what it meant for those guys. Maybe it doesn't mean that for you, but maybe it does mean you have to lose the hobby that you really love, the habit that you, you just love doing. Or maybe it's a relationship you have to step away from. But, but regardless of that, it, it's a steep cost like, it is a steep cost to follow Jesus, and that's why I get it. That's why I get if you're scared. And that's why I get, if you, if, honestly, if you refuse. But, but here's why it's worth it. Here's why it's worth it. You get Jesus. You get Jesus. What did he say to the disciples? He said, if anyone would come after, what? Me. So to go all in means you get Jesus. So, so contrary to how the world might, might think, Christianity is about going all in for a person, not a religion. Okay? Christianity is about going all in for a person, not a religion. Why? Because the person is the prize of Christianity. He's the prize. He's the reward. Jesus is not just the goal. He's the prize. He's the prize of our life, of our soul. He's the reason why we endure suffering. So before we do anything tonight, before we do anything, we're going to talk about Jesus we're going to spend some time in it, and, and we're going to consider together who he is and what he's like. And then we're going to hear God's confrontation and encouragement to us tonight, because going all in for Jesus only makes sense when you see Jesus for, for who he is. So um, just in case you weren't paying attention, I just gave you guys an outline for the night, and, and just to make it really crystal clear for where we're going to go, the first thing we're going to talk about is Jesus. We're going to talk about who he is, his identity. Then we're going to talk about what he's like, his, his personality, his winsomeness. And then we're going to go into the gospel's confrontation and encouragement for us tonight. But before we do that, let's, let's go to him right now and ask him for some help. Heavenly Father, um, 
we cannot see you unless you've given us eyes to see. So God, I ask that you would just bless the people in this room to see you tonight as the compassionate, loving, and wonderful God that you are. God, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, the first text, or actually the only text I want to go to to talk about the identity of Jesus is is Hebrews 1. I think Harley can put it up on the screen for you. Um, But this is what it says. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Right? So in his last days, he's, he's spoken to us by Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So right off the bat, we see Jesus is God. We see he was there when the world was created, and not only is he the creator, he says he sustains creation. He holds it together, all of it. He is almighty. He's God. But I think a really cool image this, this text gives us is that he's the imprint of the nature of God. Look, look at that. He says, Jesus is the, in verse 3, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. I was talking to Jed, and he told me there's this theater where uh, there's like these movie stars, like, like Tom Hanks or something, and it's called the Grauman's Chinese Theater, if anybody's ever heard of it, and there's like these stars on the ground with the, with the movie guy's name on it, right? And then there's his hand in the cement next to it. So it's his imprint, right? right? It's his hand. The only hand that'll fit in that cement marker is, is his hand. But, but what this text is saying is that if God from heaven were to reach down <laughs> and put his hand in the wet cement, so to speak, the only hand that'll fit that print is Jesus's, right? The only hand that could fit in there is, is Christ and will fit perfectly because he's the exact nature of God. Do you guys get that? Like he is God. But even more than his identity, let's, let's look at his personality together because I really feel like this is what just wins the heart of people to want to follow him even more than that. So we're going to go to Luke 7. Luke 7, verse 11 through 17. Um, Brian Berger, a while ago, he, he uh, gave this illustration on a Sunday. He's, he's a pastor around here, if you guys don't know who he is. And he said, if I want to talk to you guys about my dad, I can't just tell you guys things about my dad. I can't just tell you he's kind or he's generous or he's loving or, or all those things. Because you guys, okay, you can relate with those things, but that doesn't really tell you about him very much. right? You need a story. You need to see how he interacts with other people. Right, to really get a picture of his personality. So that's what we're going to do with Jesus. We're going to look at a story of him interacting with another person, with some other people. And we're going to see just what he is like. So, are you guys all there, by the way? Or do you, you guys see it? Yep, great. Okay, so we're going to read this together. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain. They're talking about Jesus. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, do not weep. And then he came up and he touched the beer. He touched the coffin, and and the, the beer stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, arise, get up. 
And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized everybody around them. Fear seized them all, and they, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and the surrounding country. So the first thing, the first character we see here is the widow, is this woman. Her, her only son just died. Her only son has just died. And, and what really sucks is that's not the first time. It's a funeral procession, and it's not the first time she's had to bury a loved one. No, it says she's a widow. She's also had to bury her husband. And one writer said this, that the greatest joy of a Jewish woman was to bear a son and, and to lose a son was, was the greatest sorrow. It was the greatest sorrow, and here's why. So the loss of a son, the loss of a husband, especially those two combined, what that meant for this woman was that she was about to live a life of extreme poverty. Like extreme poverty. To put it in our perspective, it's like you losing your pension, your social security, and your Medicare in one moment. All of it. Your, your financial future is, is gone. You have no security. But, but not only did she have extreme sorrow, but, but she also had a lot of guilt, which you wouldn't really expect from this. But in their Jewish culture, the premature death of a child was believed to be caused by a parent's sin. So this mother, possibly thinking, hey, I sinned something. I did something so wrong. It may have killed my son. So she's leading this funeral procession out of the city. She's at the front. There's about 500 people with her. The whole town would have come because this loss was so severe. Okay? And she's leading it out of the city. And it's essentially, it's about to collide with, with, with Jesus and his followers. But, but this is where we meet Jesus in this story. And you get to see, oh, he's amazing. This is what he does. The first thing he does is he looks at the woman. He looks at the woman. Not the son. Not the crowd. And, and get this. When the Lord saw her, what does the text say? He had compassion on her. He had compassion on her. Another translation says his, his heart went out to her. I have, a, I have a question for you guys just to kind of ponder in your head. What does it look like for a person to have compassion? Like how can you tell if someone has compassion? I mean, can, can you see it in the face? Do you see it in the eyes? Is it, is it in the body language? I don't know. But, but whatever his reaction was, it was physical. You, you saw it on him. It was like he was wearing compassion because Jesus isn't the one writing this stuff. It's the people following him that, are, that wrote this. So whatever his reaction was, it was noticed despite the massive commotion going on. People saw him, and they're like, he's having compassion on her. Jesus is, is compassionate. And not only that, but you see it in his actions. The, the first thing he does after looking at her, he's, he goes up to her, and he says, what does he say? He says, don't cry. Don't cry. And if you really think about it, it kind of sounds insensitive, doesn't it? Right? She just lost her son. She's a widow. Her life is about to be extraordinarily hard. And he says, don't weep. Usually, something like that, you, you know, you let the person cry. They have every reason to be crying. But, but, Jesus, but Jesus knows she has a reason to hope. She has a reason not to weep. And he knows that. So he says, don't, don't cry. And at this point in the funeral, Jesus stops it. 
they're on their way to the graveyard, and he stops it, and, and how he does it is so interesting. He goes up, and he quietly touches the coffin. He just touches the coffin, and the entire crowd stops. I mean, most men would stop a large crowd by, like, shouting or raising their hands or waving. I mean, people with less power tend to overstate it, don't they? But it's not that way with Jesus. It is not that way with Jesus. He stops the crowd with a silent touch. People with real power tend to understate it. People with real power tend to understate it. And, and what he does next is, is, is amazing. He says, young man, I say to you, get up. He says, get up. And the kid obeys. He gets up. He starts talking. I, in my life, I've never seen a dead person obey anything, ever. <laughs> but even the dead obey Jesus. Even the dead obey Jesus. And, and, and here in the story, we also see his supreme humility. He's so humble. Every eye at this point, kids up and raised, he's talking. Every eye is on Jesus. Every eye is on him. A large crowd. Nothing like this has ever happened in this land before. Everybody's looking at Jesus. But Jesus' eyes are still on the widow. His eyes are still on the widow. He's not, he's not thinking of himself at all. He's not thinking of the fame he can get or, or the miracle he just did. No, he takes her son by the hand. He helps him out of the casket and he walks him to his mother. He remembers the widow. He remembers the person and he's not caught up in the situation. You see, Jesus, he cares for the son's physical need, but he also cares for the mother's emotional need. You see, you see such awesome tenderness and such amazing power. Usually tender people, they, they lack power. They lack strength. And usually powerful people lack a gentleness or a tenderness. But Jesus shows he is both gentle and strong. He's both gentle and strong. And this is the, cloud, the, the crowd's conclusion when they see this guy. When they're around him and they see his compassion and his mercy and his ability towards this woman. They say this, God has visited his people they're filled with awe. And they say, this is God. God has come to us. And then their response to that, after their conclusion, is they, they worship. They worship God. And this is why they're no longer alone in their problems. Jesus has come. They're no longer alone in their sorrow and their suffering. God is here. And he actually cares about us. He actually cares. He has compassion on the suffering people. So, so now we, we read this story, we hear about Jesus, we hear about it to such amazing compassion, amazing mercy, such wonderful kindness, and strong power, and, and we ask this question, how do we find Jesus? How do we find this guy? How do we get to be with him? Jeremiah 29, 13 has the answer for us. You heard about it last week, and, and we're going to camp on it this week. This is what it says, and this is Jesus talking, by the way. He is God, so he is saying this to his people. He says, you will seek me and find me. When what? You seek me with all your heart. So that's what we're going to look at right now. What does it mean to seek with all your heart? What does it look like? Sometimes in the American culture, we hear something like, seek me with all your heart, and, and instantly we think emotions or we think feelings. Like, okay, so I'm going to pursue you with the most feelings I've ever had for anybody, and I'm, and I'm just going to give them to you. And Jesus is saying, well, it's sort of that, but it's, it's a lot more than that. It's a lot more than that. Let me try and give you an example to uh, illustrate this point that I'm trying to make. So um, Shannon mentioned Nicole. She's my wonderful wife. She's sitting right over here to my left. Um, I, I actually met her in college at 710, so 
That's good news to some of you guys out there. Um, but here's the thing. If while I was dating her, I was dating somebody else, and then after a period of time, then I asked her to marry me, do you know what her response would be? <laughs> do you know what she'd say to me? This is what she'd say. She's like, why? Why, why would you want to marry me? Why would you want to marry me? And I would tell her, because I love you the most. I have the most feelings for you. I, I have more feelings for you than I have for this other girl. And this is what she'd say to me. She'd say, screw your feelings. Yeah, forget them. You've, you've never loved me. Your heart is divided. Your resources, your time, your money, your effort, you, you don't love me. You don't love me. Your heart has never been just for me. You've never sought me with all your heart. Love is not divided. It's It's singular. It's singular. Love is the singular pursuit from, from a soul of a person that encompasses his, his money, his time, his, his thought, his affection, his effort, his life. It is the complete laying down oneself for the pursuit of another. It's the complete laying down of oneself for the pursuit of another. And Jesus says, I want that. That is what I'm after. That's what I want. And, and, and not only does God want that, he says, you will not find me unless you seek me like that. And, and that's where this gets challenging a little bit, right? So I, I think once we get to this place, sometimes some misunderstanding can, can bubble up. So I want to give some caution and some wisdom to you guys right now if you're a little bit confused. Going all in for Jesus is not something that earns you Jesus. I'm going to say that again just so I'm extremely clear. Going all in for Jesus is not something that earns you Jesus. It's evidence that you know him and that you've seen him and that you believe him to be exactly who he says he is. It's evidence. Going all in is something that happens after you see Jesus, after you see him for the compassionate and merciful God. When you see him and his eyes look back at you full of mercy, full of mercy and care, you just can't help yourself. You just can't help yourself. When I met Nicole, when I met my wife, I, honestly, I could not help myself but go all in for her. And, and it sounds cheesy, but when I, when I learned that she was honestly just as beautiful on the inside as she is on the outside, she is, she's radiantly beautiful, I could not help myself. I really couldn't. So if it's that way with a wife or with a woman, how much more is it that way with Jesus? Really, how much more is it that way with God? When you, when you look at him, the man Jesus Christ, and see eyes that are full of almighty power are also staring back at you with compassion and love and mercy and patience and steadfast love. Steadfast love. You just can't help yourself. You really can't. So, so I guess my question for you right now is do you see him? Have you seen him? Have you ever dared to lift your eyes to the eyes that are full of compassion have, have you considered that, that you can gaze upon him today and he'll gaze back at you with love and mercy and acceptance? Somebody so mighty that with just a word, he can tame the untamable creation. Yet somebody so full of love, he's, he's willing to step into your sorrow and comfort you. Well, there's good news for you today. You can. You can today. You can look at him. Lift your eyes to Jesus. I want to encourage you guys with this story. It's from the Old Testament. And, and this is the background. It's the Exodus. And if you guys don't know what that is, that was this massive event where God delivered his people from 400 years of slavery to a place of peace. He 
through, through a series of, of plagues and miraculous things, he, he delivered them. He opened up a seat. And he took his people out of a place of slavery to a place of freedom. And he closed the seat on all their enemies and he swept them away. No one's going to pursue you anymore. I'm your God. I've, I've given you freedom. But, but there's this middle road, right? So he, he delivered them from a place of slavery over here. And his goal, he's, I'm going I'm to bring you to a place of, of freedom. A place of freedom. But there's this journey to get there. And in this journey, in this middle part, there's a lot of confrontation with the people of God and God. Like, they grumble and complain. Like, like God, you're not feeding us very well right now, at least as well as we want to be fed. It would be better for us to be back in the place of death. It would be better for us back in the place of death. So God's saying, okay, I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to remind you of the death that you're experiencing. And this is one of those crazy Bible stories, but it's totally true. He sent fiery serpents into the midst of their camp, and they bit the people. And they were dying. They were honestly dying. And so when these people were reminded of death, they cried out to God and they said, no, we were wrong. We were totally wrong. We don't want to go back. It's horrible. Please give us life again, essentially. Please give us life again. And God said, okay. And so he told the leader of them, Moses, make a staff. And on the top of the staff, make a bronze serpent. Make a bronze serpent and stick it in the ground. And whenever these people would look at it, if, if, if they see this, if they just look up from where they are, they will see it and, and they'll live. They'll see it and live. When they would cast their eyes on the serpent, they were saved. They found life again. And, and so it is today with Jesus. So it is today with Jesus. When you cast your eyes upon him, you'll be saved even where you sit. And it'll be your joy. It'll be your greatest joy to carry a cross for him if it means you get to be with him. It'll be your greatest joy to go all in. You'll say, I don't care what happens as long as I get to be with you. As long as you'll be my friend. I don't care. I don't care. I just want you. So, so now that you've heard what it, what it means to seek Jesus with, with all your heart, what it, what it means and what it looks like, we're, we're going to move into a time of confrontation. And honestly, th- this is where it gets really hard. Because n- nobody, nobody likes confrontation. Nobody likes to receive it. And in fact, the guy in front of you, me... <laughs> I spent years, like years of my life being hard to the gospel, and, and I suffered for it. I suffered for it. And I would like to spare you the suffering and the, minis- and, and the misery that, that I endured by, by being hard to, to Jesus. So, so if you guys can, can humble yourself enough to just listen for this next little bit, I promise you, I promise you there is good news for you today. There's hope in the gospel for you. So, so... This confrontation is for the hard-hearted person. And let me clarify that. Let me put some parameters on that so you know who I'm talking to. This is the person who might know. You could probably tell me everything about the gospel. You could tell me everything about God. And and you could dictate it very well. You might confess Jesus to be your king, but the only thing that you're all in for is yourself. The only thing you're all in for is yourself. Maybe it's the sport that you get to play in college. Your entire life, I'm just giving in to this. Regardless of who I hurt, I don't care. I'm just going to go there. Maybe it's school. Maybe for you, academic prestige is is your idol, and it's the only thing you're all in for, and and you don't care if you cheat or lie, if it means you get to get ahead. Maybe it's a girl or a guy. Maybe it's a relationship, and you're willing to compromise ethical boundaries because it's the complete center of your heart. Maybe it's a drug. Maybe it's a drink. I don't know. I really don't, but but this is my warning to you today, And, and really this is God's warning to you today. Don't continue to harden your heart. 
Don't continue to harden your heart. We're going to go to Hebrews 3, and Harley's going to put it up on the screen for you. And it's a short little text, but, but this is what it says. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So the context of this story, there is a background of this, to this passage, and the context is the same. It was the exodus it was the exodus, that, that massive deliverance from slavery and God's bringing these people to a place of peace. And they just got through all this middle ground, all the confrontation and repentance, confrontation, repentance, is this whole cycle. And they finally get, they're on the edge of the border of this place. They, they get over here and they're right about to go in. And God says, I brought you here. I took you from the place of slavery and this is the place of freedom. This is where you will dwell, you'll build houses and you'll live in them. You won't have to be nomads anymore, and I'm going to live with you, and I'm going to be here with you. This land is abundant in resources. You'll be happy here. You'll have joy here. And he says, go, take it over. I struck down Pharaoh, and I struck down, and I brought plights upon this land to, to free you. I am the almighty God. I'm with you right now. Go, take it over. And they send scouts, and they harden their heart towards God. They go up, and they look over this hill or whatever, and they see massive warriors Massive warriors. So just to put it in some, some sort of perspective, the people of Israel have been enslaved for 400 years. 400 years. These people are probably malnourished, and none of them really know how to fight that well. And they go up, and they look over the, heel, over the hill, and they see, like, NFL-grade warriors. Like, these people are huge and strong, and they're like, we can't do it. We tap out. And God's response is, you have to be kidding me. Do you not know what I did? I, I opened a sea. I opened the sea and brought you through. I swept away your enemies. I swept them away. I brought plights upon them. I freed you from them. Do you not think, do you not think that I can give you this land? Do you think I brought you out here just to die? And so as a punishment for them hardening their hearts towards God, they never entered his rest. They never entered that place. He said, no, you're going to go wander. You're going to go wander in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years, and every single one of you will die, and you'll never experience my rest. Your children will, but not you. Your children will, but not you. And this is what this teaches us, and you, proud person, if you've been struggling with this kind of pride, you will not enter rest with Christ unless he's your everything. You will not have the rest of Jesus unless he is your everything. Your knowledge, your knowledge of the gospel, your knowledge about God, it'll do nothing for your soul. You'll be miserable in your sin. Your joy and your peace will be so temporary. You'll be miserable. And I would love to spare you that. I really would. That, that's what I experienced. When, when I was in high school, and I really wish this wasn't true about me, but it is. If you'd ask anybody, any one of my friends or people that knew me in high school, if, if you'd ask them, if, if you were interested in following Jesus, and you're like, who do I talk to here? Who do I talk to here about following Jesus? They would have said Connor, probably. They said go talk to that guy or one of his friends. But here's the truth. There are things that I enjoyed doing that I just refused to give up. And I hardened my heart towards God and I was miserable. I loved Jesus, but I never experienced his rest because my heart was so hard to him. For years, for years. 
And so if you hear his voice today, if, he, if he's knocking on the wall of your heart, if he's saying, come, turn back, run to him. Run to him with your whole heart. Give him everything. Give him everything. Don't harden your heart against God anymore. It, 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 it's worth the awkward apologies. It's, it's worth the loss of your friends. It's worth the many deaths because guess what? Even, even the worst of deaths doesn't compare to the rest that you have in Jesus. It doesn't. It doesn't compare at all. Not even close. When Jesus said to his disciples, take up your cross and follow me, that literally meant come suffer and die with me. Come suffer and die with me. Come be completely humiliated with me. Come endure pain with me. Come be tortured with me. Come and die with me. That was his invitation. And according to them, Roman crucifixion was worth it. It was worth it when compared to knowing Jesus. Roman crucifixion. Remember Peter. I told you about him earlier. He was crucified upside down next to his wife. And he said, I have gain. I have Jesus. It's worth it. There's this guy, Paul, he's an apostle, which essentially means he was like one of the it guys in the early church. Like he was like leading this thing. He was a really big deal. And, and his life was, was great before he started following Jesus. And then he started following Jesus, and then he suffered like crazy. Like he says, he was beaten countless times. I was whipped. I was flogged. That's when you're whipped with a type of whip that has bone and sharp things in it. So when it hits your skin, it rips it off. He was flogged. He was stoned, where they place heavy stones on you until you die. Somehow he lived, but that happened to him. Chased out of places, shipwrecked, a day and a drift, a day and a night adrift at sea. He experienced cold hunger, betrayal from his friends, and, and, and then he went to prison. <laughs> he went to prison. And while he was in prison, this is what comes out of this guy's mouth. So he's already suffered these things, and he's in, the dude is in prison. And he says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It's gain. It is better off for me to be here and know Jesus than me to have my life perfect and not know him at all. It's better for me to have Christ. So I'm urging you, turn away. Turn away and look at Jesus. He's the reason why it's worth leaving everything behind. He's, he's the reason why even Roman crucifixion is worth it. And I'm telling you, if, if Roman crucifixion is worth knowing Jesus, if that's the testimony of people throughout history. Roman crucifixion is worth knowing Jesus. I promise you. I promise you the many deaths that you're going to experience are worth it. I promise you. So I don't want to just bring confrontation to you, person, if you're, if you're struggling with hard-heartedness towards God. I also want to give you some encouragement. And um, there's this short little parable that, that Jesus tells uh, his followers in Matthew 13 um, called the, the parable of the pearl of great value. And this is what it says. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. And let me tell you about uh, this merchant or merchants in the day of Jesus. So in the day of Jesus, they would use and really manipulate the worship of God to, to turn a profit for themselves. They would hurt other people trying to worship God for their own profit. You see this in John 2. Jesus goes and he goes into the temple and these people have set up shop in the worship area, and he drives them out. And what they're doing is they're, they're really selling the items that are necessary for them to worship God and to be with God, and they're hiking up the prices hardly affordable for their gain and to hurt the people that they're selling, or that they're selling things to. And, and I really do believe that some of you who've been struggling with this pride have, have used and really manipulated the gospel so that you can live however you desire 
and claim the grace of Christ over your life anyway. I do believe that. And, and I don't tell this parable to you to discourage you with that. I, I tell this to, to in, encourage you. Je- Jesus is the one thing worth giving up every other pursuit for. This dude is rich. He said he's a merchant in search of fine pearls. Do you know how stinking rich you have to be in that day and age to be a pearl merchant, to be selling and buying those things? And not only that, fine pearls? This dude was wealthy beyond compare, but when he found Jesus, he sold it all. He sold it all. He gave up his pursuits. For Jesus, that, 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 it says he found a, a great pearl of value, but, but the, it's, a, it's a fictional story. The pearl represents Jesus. When he saw Jesus, it was over because he realizes the riches of knowing Jesus are worth far more than the riches of man. They're worth far more. And I believe he's calling you to do that today. To, 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 to trade a pursuit that, that robs you of joy for a pursuit that lavishes it into your life. For a pursuit that lavishes it into your life. And, and here's something you need to hear. If you've been struggling with pride and you're in this room, you have to hear this. God hasn't given up on you. Jesus hasn't given up on you. The fact that you're even here and hearing this means he hasn't. He's coming after your heart right now. He, he really is. So, so take heart. Take up a cross. Turn around and, and remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. He's the God of steadfast love and mercy. Steadfast love. Not just love, not just affection. It's the type of stuff that never leaves. It's strong. It's like a mountain. It's steadfast. And he has eyes full of compassion and care, and they're looking at you. He has compassion for you. Jesus is worth knowing. He's he's worth loving, enjoying, and and following. So, So come back. Come back to him today. Jesus is calling you right now. So now that we just heard some confrontation or God's confrontation for us tonight. We're going we're to move into a time of, of him encouraging people. And the first person is the anxious person, and then we're going to move to the weary person. So, so let me talk to you and, and give some parameters for this anxious person so, so you guys know who I'm talking about. You're, you are the person in this room that you don't need me to tell you what it means for you to carry a cross. You really don't, and, and that's why you're scared. That's why you're scared, because you know the cost for your life. You know what you're going to have to leave behind. You know what you're going to suffer. You've already considered it. But I want you to consider a different image rather than just a cross. Actually, Jesus gives us another image to, to think about this rather than just the Roman crucifixion. There's another one, and, and it's in this text in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. And I'm going to read this, and I, I just want you to listen. Just, just listen. This is going to be like medicine to your soul. He says this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this is what a yoke is, if you guys don't know. Um, A yoke is, is a device that essentially straps an ox or a bull into a plow for like a farmer's field. It traps an ox into some really hard work, into some really hard work. Um, but, but what's really interesting and I think really encouraging is that uh, yokes were really never meant for one ox. They're meant for two. They're meant for two. And this is what this image is really preaching to us. Jesus is giving this image. He's like, Jesus is like, I'm like an ox already locked into this thing. Come and join me. 
you're suffering. Everything that happens to you or is about to happen to you because of me. Jesus says, it's going to happen to you with me. You're not going to be alone in this. The, the, the image is one where you're side by side with Jesus. So consider the person that you're going to be side by side with. He's the one that comforted the widow. He's the one that found her in the midst of the crowd and looked at her with compassion who raised her son and then in humility continued to love her rather than trying to make his name known there. And he is almighty power. He's the one who says, come, come and join me in the yoke and out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Come join me in this yoke and you'll never, ever thirst again. Come join me in the yoke and you'll find rest for your soul. You'll find rest for your soul. And this is something I really think you guys need to hear tonight. The, the rest that you long for, the peace that you long for, it's the rest that Jesus gives. It's the kind of stuff that Jesus gives. Everything that your soul longs for, the joy, the peace. Joy, the peace, it, it's found in Jesus. And Jesus is found when you seek him with your whole heart. He's found when you go all in. So, I really think he's saying to you tonight, just those reasons why you want to come, anxious person. The reasons why you're even considering it, they're true. They're true of him. They're true of him. He is the giver of good gifts. He's the giver of good gifts. Come. Come. Come be with him today. Come be with him today. So, so now that we just heard the gospel's encouragement to the anxious person, we're going to hear uh, the gospel's uh, encouragement to, to the weary person. And, and this is where we're going to end tonight. Um, and let me give you some uh, per- parameters for the weary person, just so you know who I'm talking about again. This is, this is the person who's already taken up a cross for Jesus. You, you've already taken up a cross for Jesus. You, you're the one who's all in because you've seen Jesus for who he says he is. You lifted your eyes to him. You saw him looking back at you with compassion and love. And you love him with all your heart, so you took up a cross with him. You went into the yoke with him, but you're weary. But you're weary. You're tired. You're really tired. And here's my encouragement to you. Here's the gospel's encouragement to you. You don't suffer alone. You don't suffer alone. Remember the images that, that he presents to you. He says, come take a cross next to me, essentially. Come be like the thief on the cross who saw paradise. Come join the yoke with me, but but regardless, the point that Jesus is communicating to you is you get to be with Jesus. To come means you get him. He's with you. He's locked into it right next to you. And that is a big deal. It's a huge deal. So, so remember, he's the powerful one. He's, he's the compassionate one. He's, he's the bread of life, and he's a, he's a well of living water. And he can give you more than just refreshment today weary person. He really can. He can give you joy today. He can give you joy today. Remember the story at the beginning of the sermon. Remember how Jesus loved that woman. Jesus cares enough to do something about what troubles you. He really does. He cares enough to do something about what troubles you. His heart is so kind. His heart is so kind and he is, he's not far away from your problems. He's, he's with you. He really is. He's, he's with you. So let's pray together. Father, um, God, the cross, is, it can be so intimidating. 
But God, you are the beauty of the cross. God, you are the beauty of the yoke. Father, I pray that you would just open our eyes to see you for exactly who you are. God, open our eyes to see your eyes full of compassion and love and mercy toward your children. God, and we ask this, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.